Today, we're going to talk about why and when dentists buy. Have you ever noticed, if you have ever tried, uh, have noticed that a dentist, dentists in many cases, have once they begin using a product that perhaps they even began using in dental school, that they're still using it 10, 15, 20 years later? Well, today I'm going to explain why that is and how you can use the loyalty and the high steadiness characteristics of dentists in your favor. So if you've ever had an opportunity before you started with a company or maybe in the midst of working with a company, maybe you've had your personality evaluated or assessments. It's one of the most popular uh, assessment tools for measuring the behavioral style of individuals. It's a really common tool used globally by large and small corporations uh, throughout. One of the services of my firm, Answer International, is that we actually provide selection talent uh, assessment services for the dental and medical industry. We've been doing it for decades. We have the largest database of any uh, company about the uh, dental sales talent than really any firm of its kind. And I'm really proud about that. But what that's given us is some insights and understanding about the personality or the behavioral style, as well as what motivates dentists and dental professionals to buy. And I'm going to share that with you right now. What we've discovered is as we analyze almost two and a half decades of information that dentists uh, but 73 to 78, I want to make sure I give you these numbers right, 73 to 78% of dentists include a high steadiness, which is what the S stands for in the DISC model, and or the high compliance in their number one and number two position. So what you see right here is the, the height of the graph, right? Every single human being, if they took this assessment, this DISC assessment, they would have a score on the D, the I, the S, and the C. And just as a refresher, in case you are somewhat familiar with DISC, but don't remember, the D stands for dominance, or it indicates a person's tendency, natural tendency, as well as their adapted tendency to solve problems. The I stands for influence, and it indicates how a person, in this case a dentist, uh, interacts with others. The S stands for steadiness, and it actually indicates the, uh, the, the really preferred pace in which dentists prefer to, to act. And what we see is that the higher the score of the steadiness factor, the more calm, the more even flow, the more consistent that dentists tend to prefer their workday. So, you know, nobody likes to be working in the midst of a fire unless their behavioral style is indicates that they actually do prefer that. Think about um, emergency room personnel or uh, traders on the New York Stock Exchange. Those people are making decisions and taking action in nanoseconds, and they like it that way. Air traffic controllers, those are people that really enjoy low steadiness or very rapid decision-making and actions that go with it. Dentists are just the opposite in general. Now, again, one of the things that I find is that when we use some of these instruments, it, it tends to feel like, hey, we're trying to put people in a box here, and we're certainly not doing that. 
what we were doing is we're using the data and the intelligence that we have about the demographics as well as the psychographics of populations or clusters of people. And what this does is this really does enhance our ability as paid professional communicators to be able to elevate our effectiveness in the way that we communicate with that demographic. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to use this to manipulate people. We're simply trying to use it to actually open up and enhance our communications, in this case, with dentists. The other indication of dentists is that dentists also tend to uh, have a behavioral style that their C or the compliance behavioral style is one that is very high. They are people that tend to like to follow the rules. People with low C are people that tend to feel like rules are meant to be broken and they're constantly testing the envelope, right? And so one question that often comes up is what behavioral style is the best behavioral style? And the answer is there is no best behavioral style. However, depending on the type of job that you have or the type of culture, company culture that you have, there are certain behavioral styles that tend to um, tend to feel more comfortable, tend to be more um, uh, able to flourish in certain environments versus others. So it should come no surprise to all of us that when we learn that the majority of dentists tend to prefer a steady and consistency, consistent work environment, that they don't like rapid changes or, a, or days that are constantly like drinking water out of a fire hose, that shouldn't surprise us. In addition, for dentists that are scientists, that they prefer to follow the rules, follow a protocol, meet the standards and expectations that were trained into them during dental school, well, all of a sudden, dentists can then begin to focus on really refining and, and, and really taking those processes to the highest level, bringing their own good judgment and their own personal style and experience and expertise into cases. Now, why are we talking about all of this? Well, this is what explains when you have a, a community of dental professionals who tend to be introduced to certain products and services and vendors, and they tend to cling on to them for years on end. So as you would imagine that if you are a, a, a representative for a company that it includes the products and services that were introduced back in dental school, well, then, then that's an advantage for you. But if in fact you are, represent a company that wasn't something that they learned in dental school, well, then it represents an opportunity for you to be able to figure out how you're going to get a dentist who doesn't like really change, as we call it, and be able to get them to lean in to that change. When you think about uh, a dentist uh, being slow to change, well, now we understand that. We also understand that they don't like a lot of rapid activity. And so what this, how this translates for you as a representative, whether or not you are communicating via the phone or in person, um, the way in which in general dentists like their communication is one that is calm, one that is conversational and not too excited. Uh, using mannerisms that are controlled and deliberate and not ones that are abrupt or a pace and a volume that is overly loud. I know myself as a representative, when I was um, in sales, working with dentists, just being naturally a 
excited person, a person with a very loud volume of style, um, basically, uh, I what really had to learn how to adapt my behavior in order to accommodate the behavioral style and the preferences of the very dentist that I was calling on. So there's two questions that you want to ask yourself when you are interacting with with a dentist or with anybody for that matter, and it will really be uh, a helpful uh, tool. So the first question you want to ask yourself is, is this person that I'm communicating to, do they appear to be introverted or do they appear to be extroverted? So what this is doing is this question is helping you narrow down what of the four different behavioral styles do I have on my hands here? Now, as we said, the majority of dentists, the 73 to 78% of them are going to fall in the more introverted as opposed to the extroverted style. Generally speaking, the DIS and C, the um, high steadiness as well as the high compliance individuals tend to be more introverted. So you know that they're probably an S or a C, which when we talk about that, we're talking about their core style. The other question that you want to ask yourself is, does this person tend to be more task-oriented or people-oriented? Okay, so if they are more task-oriented, which are what dentists tend to be, that, that tends to be more of an individual that might be a D or a C. Because remember, a C stands for compliance. These are individuals that prefer to get it right, to follow the rules, to make sure that they're crossing the T's, <clears throat> following the protocol, and completing the task at hand. If there's someone who is more people-oriented, that tends to show up with people that are obviously the I, the influencers, the people influencers, as well as the people that are high steadiness individuals. <clears throat> Although their, their styles are different, the high I's tend to be very demonstrative, very outgoing, very loud, right? I am a poster child of the high I. In fact, my score out of 100, as you would maybe even guess, people say that are in this work, you know, that they say it with Anita, there's no test needed. You are 100% I. Um, and then also the high steadiness individuals, they tend not to be as demonstrative, but they generally are amiable, affable people, people that uh, people really enjoy, right? And are people oriented. So that's one of the ways you can kind of narrow down what, um, what a dentist behavioral style is. And here's what I want you to get as one main thing from today is that even though your behavioral style may be very different, than the doctor or even the other dental professionals that you're, that you're communicating with. It's really important that you keep in mind that you want to be able to adapt your behavioral style to that of the dentist or that of the customer. Why? Because you are the communication chameleon. Write that down. I want you to become the communication chameleon by adapting your behavior in a way that accommodates the very person you are attempting to open the doors of communication with. Okay, so that's the deal. So just in summary, the high steadiness individual uh, is somebody that really likes things stable. They like a predictable environment. They like time to talk and to make a decision. See, other behavioral styles, the drivers or the influencers, we tend to fill in the blanks. We tend to talk over that silence because we're not comfortable with that. And what I'm suggesting is you want to let 
your questions marinate. You want to let the doctor respond. And sometimes that may require you taking a pause and allowing for the doctor to respond because they're processing, they're thinking, they're formulating a, uh, a, a considered answer as opposed to just a glib response. All right. In addition, you see that high compliance individuals, this is where they are considering their training, their experience clinically, what you're saying or suggesting about what could be possible for the future in terms of them considering why they would make a change for buying something different than the very product that they had acquired or learned about in dental school. And that decision, that transition for a high steadiness individual that wants to make sure they get things right is indeed a requires some mental gymnastics in there. And you want to make sure that you give plenty of space to allow that. So Anita, if in fact, this is the way people are hardwired, this is the way dentists are hardwired, how do we ever get them to switch? How do we ever get dentists to be able to open their minds to the possibility of a new product, a better product, a newer innovation? Well, that is where we introduce the idea of motivational drivers, right? Or driving forces. Now, what you're looking at, at here is really just a snapshot of the 12 different drivers that motivate every human being. But what our data suggests is that the highest number one and number two motivational drivers for dentists is this number one position up here is intellectual, which that may sound like they're driven by being smart. But in fact, um, what that means is that, that dentists, the majority of dentists are motivated by the acquisition or the collection of knowledge. Oh my goodness gracious. As I just said that, angels are singing, right? Why? Because this is where the motivational drive to do everything for most dentists resides. They are voracious learners. They are lifelong learners. And fortunately, their profession, their licensure requires that they on a regular basis consume knowledge and information. And so that is how one of the reasons probably that they were even attracted to come to the profession is that they liked the idea of being scientists and being in a profession where they were rewarded to continue refine and hone their studies and their craft and their learning. In addition, the number two highest driver for dentists is this one down here, what we call altruistic. Now you can imagine what that probably means. And that is a dentist are primarily motivated to be of contribution to others without an, expection, an, an expected return. So if you think about it, if a dentist is motivated to continuously learn and, and uh, develop their awareness and their knowledge, what would be something that you could do to entice or to enhance that thirst or that desire? It would be to educate your customers into the sale and demonstrate to them through your educational process how their patients and how the results that they achieve or make leave patients better than the way they found them. That combines the combination of what powerfully motivates dentists and really causes them to show up every day in their practice. And that is very exciting. So here's a little summary of 
the high intellectuals, the majority of dentists, that they are looking for the discovery of the truth, of the best um, uh, information, the best research, the best understanding of what is the highest and best that science and you representing your solutions and your company who has research and, de and, and development or resources that actually represent that cutting edge. See, by you being a representative for that, you are appealing to the very thing that dentists are excited and interested in. This gives you a snapshot of one of their top two driving forces, and altruistic is the second driving force. You can see that <clears throat> every single day when they show up to work, they're showing up to work to A, discover something new, to learn something new, perhaps through their own hands, as well as to be able to change the world one smile at a time. Now, you and I may consider that if we don't have altruistic in our in our core top core motivational drivers, we may sound say think that sounds nice or like what you'd write on a brochure. But in fact, it is one of the deep seated desires of de every dental professional on the planet. So I want you to remember that as you are proceeding in your interaction with dentists. Okay. All right. So that's really I hope gives you some insights on just who you're dealing with as you interact with dentists, um, but also gives you some ideas that, um, that I want you to remember that as, the, as a representative who has an opportunity that you want to present to anybody, whether it's a dentist, if it's a manager or anyone, if you want to bring your highest level of influence, you want to focus on what matters to them. And so as I begin to wrap this up together, I want you to think about um, what it about this and what how this lands in what type of, if you will, selling or influencing or supporting that you're doing. But what I'd like you to just consider as I just tie this all together in a bow is as you are approaching whoever it is that you are attempting to influence, one of the most important and powerful ways of shaping the conversation needs to come from a perspective of educating the customer into the sale. Well, how do you do that in practical terms, Anita? Well, let me just give you that right now. The first thing that you want to do is you want to understand, number one, where they are, what their current condition is, what their product is that they're using, what their scenario is, what their, 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 if you will, problem is that you have the power or solutions or ideas in ways that you can change that. So that could be something as simple as an opening conversation of, doctor, what product are you using now? What category of the products that you represent, what are you using now? Maybe if you represent a service or you want to be of contribution in a different way, let's say that you are a consultant. We see many consultants here. Your approach wouldn't be what product you're using now, but it could be, tell me a little bit about your case acceptance, for example, or tell me a little bit about the um, the, the billing firm that you uh, are working with now, or who is doing your billing now? Are you doing that internally? Or are you doing that externally? If you're working with a firm right now, tell me a little bit about your experience there. Why? Because this is giving the doctor or the office manager, whoever you're interacting with, the process will be the same to really understand what their current 
condition is. And it's really important that you do that. You may have even already collected some customer intelligence about the practice, and you may already know the answers to that. But I'm going to encourage you to open your clinical consult or your consultation with whoever it is that you're interacting with. I'm going to ask you to open that with that question to understand what their current condition is. Then the next area, the next place I want you to go is I want you to get some understanding of what that clinician or what that professional that you're talking to considers for the future, what they would like to see different than what they're using now. So when we ask what they're currently using, and now we're going to switch over to what uh, to a question that powerfully helps you to uncover what considerations that the doctor might like to see in the product that he's using now, that might, that might include a question like, tell me, a, what was it that motivated you? to invest in the uh, system that you're using right now? I know a lot of you can use that question a lot. Now, why would we ask that? Because we're, we're trying to understand what the, the core uh, motivators were or what the core attributes were of the products uh, that they're using now. We wanna understand what, the, what that essence was. Now, it, you could get an answer that says, I don't know, I just it's what they gave us in dental school very well. Then the next question that you could follow that with would be a question like, for this particular, let's say you're selling implants, for the implants that you use, what is the primary expectation that you have? What is most important to you in the implant that you're using in your practice right now for the types of cases that you see? You see, you guys, this line of questioning is actually educating the customer into the sale. How? By asking these questions that you, by the way, should have prepared in advance, you are actually causing your PICA, the doctor, that prospective ideal customer avatar that you've carefully selected in advance, you are asking them in order to answer those questions, they have to go through the cognitive consideration of why am I using what I'm using? And what is it that would cause me to make a switch? What is it that I'm really looking for in the fill-in-the-blank product service support system that I'm using now? And then what you want to do is as you are listening very intently, as you're really hearing what's being said, as well as what is not being said, you should be taking some notes to really be able to set yourself up as you begin to transition into beginning to offer your offer. But do you see how just this line of questioning, it takes away all of the salesy approach, you trying to come up with a phrase or a word or a, a sentence that's going to rivet the doctor into leaning in and buying. That is old-fashioned selling. And frankly, it, it's this approach, it's this educational approach that is what I had used and what thousands of my students use in order to powerfully gain a significant edge over their competition and, and acquire more customers and keep them customer, keep them loyal for a lifetime.